listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Elena Ridley. She is a mom of three-year-old Georgia who was donor-conceived. And Elena, I've been following you for, it feels like several years, maybe it's been less, just watching your account and watching Georgia grow. It's been pretty neat to see, to see that on Instagram. And, you know, we've talked before, so it's really great to have you on my podcast and just hear more about your story and get to know you kind of a little bit more on a personal level. One thing that really stands out about your story is that you know your donor. Is that right? I do. Yes, I do know my donor. Yeah. And you know what I've never realized is I don't know how that story came to be. Well, it's kind of an interesting and unique story, actually. Um, thank you so much for having me on. I wanted to say, um, since you started this, I was hoping that you would ask me to be on it because yes. I love um, just doing stuff like this. I think it's so important and I think it's awesome. And you're spreading awesome information and connecting, you. you know, making a lot of connections and sharing not just the donor parents, but also the donor conceived children is really important. You know, it's a good perspective for those of us that are parents to kind of get like the other side of it from the kid's story as adults. So um, I appreciate that you're kind of tying it all together in the donor community. That's super helpful. Yeah. I wanted to bridge and, that gap, you know, and kind yeah. of bring, bring the vo voices together. So needed for sure, because Good. until you started doing that, um, I really had no connection with anybody that was donor conceived. If I do, I don't know that they are. So finding those adult resources like that, that have good outlooks on it and have had good experiences is really, really super important part of the puzzle that I think has been missing for a very long time. Oh, thank you. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's a very important thing to consider, you know, what the kid's outlook is going to be in the end. I think, you know, I mean, you, you can just do the best you can, but you never know how it's going to turn out. And it is just is really nice to get some perspective from some donor conceived kids. So keep mm -hmm. up the good work. Thank it's, you. It's Thank important. You. And I'm getting a wide variety of viewpoints too, because, you know, one story doesn't define the, the story of donor conception. There's so many stories, so it's really a collection. And so that's my goal is to have a collection and have it keep going. Us in the donor community definitely appreciate that. Thank you. So yeah, um, I do know my donor. I didn't know her until shortly after we were starting our cycle, our last cycle that we did with my own eggs, which was um, actually right around this time in 2015. I was stimming right at this time four years ago, and um, my retrieval and transfer and and all that were about mid-December and then my beta was the day after Christmas. So I was in the midst of what was what I had deemed the last cycle with my own eggs. I had already been through two retrievals, five transfers and had transferred seven embryos at the time and never got pregnant. So I was wow. I was determined to go to the very best doctor in the state mm -hmm. and he gave me a 63% chance of success with using my own eggs, uh, with a PGS tested test, PGS tested normal embryo. Um, so I felt like my odds were really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, all, he knew what all my levels were normal and all that stuff. Um, blood work was good. I had no underlying issues that we'd ever been able to diagnose between three doctors. Mm. So I had a like really good feeling about that last cycle that it was going to work. I had a great retrieval, 16 eggs retrieved, 11 fertilized numbers were starting out 
Mm. Perfect. Right where we wanted them to be. And then we were planning on sending them off to be biopsied for PGS testing. So they call you on day five and normally tell you, you know, you have this many embryos, you're going to come in for transfer. Well, when you're PGS testing, they tell you how many you have on day five and they're going to freeze what they have, let them grow for one more day, freeze what they have, and then send them off. So they called me on day five and told me that none of my embryos had made it to the day five blastosis stage where they were supposed to. Yeah. And they wanted me to come in and transfer that day. So I had to drop everything. I was at work. I had to call Joe, who at the time was out in the middle of a cornfield working. We had to drop everything, rush two hours away to Chicago and do a transfer. It was extremely stressful. And I was completely shocked because, you know, I thought we were doing PGS testing and here we were um, doing a transfer. And then we found out the next day that none of the other embryos had continued to grow, everything arrested. So none to freeze or send off for biopsy. And then I found out the day after Christmas that my beta was an eight. They had me go back two days later, beta continued to stay at an eight. So we just pretty much called it a chemical pregnancy. And while I was in the midst of that cycle, I had a girl who messaged me on Facebook it was December 20th. I'll never forget the day. Yeah. Uh, December 20th, 2015. And she said that she had been following her story and she just felt compelled to offer herself as an egg donor or a surrogate. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew in the back of my mind that egg donation was probably going to be the route that we were going to end up going once the cycle kind of went to hell. And between the, it kind of in my two week wait, I kind of started looking through donor profiles on my clinic's website. I was completely opposed to egg donation just a few months prior to that. But then I just caught myself asking my clinic for the password to their donor profiles. And I was kind of looking before I even knew that my cycle had failed. So I was starting to open up to the idea of egg donation. And I got this message and I had been friends with her on Facebook for a little while, but I didn't really know who she was. Um, And she had been also following me on Instagram and reading my blog and all these things. And I was a little shocked at first because that's a pretty big thing to offer to someone that you don't really know. Yeah. Um, Especially because then, you know, it would be on a known basis. But her and I chatted quite a bit over about a three week period. And once I found out that my cycle failed, I kind of knew that was the route that I wanted to go. And after about three weeks of getting to know her pretty for what I felt was pretty good um, through Facebook Messenger, which I don't know how well you can get to know somebody through social media, but you can. Mm -hmm. Um, I told my husband about it and he was about as shocked as I was, but was like very open to it and, you know, liked the idea of it. And I showed him her picture and we kind of just chatted about it a little bit over like dinner and wine one night. And, and we kind of just got the process going from there. Her and I, made plans to meet in March of that year. So March of 2016, Joe and I flew down to Georgia where she lives, uh, lived at the time. And we live in Illinois. So we had to fly down. We met her, her husband, her two kids, spent the weekend with them. I felt a connection with her even through messenger as we were chatting with each other. I just felt like she was very sincere. She wasn't out for like any kind of gain from this, uh, except for just to help someone. She's also a nurse. So it's just kind of like her innate, you know, that's just how she is. Like, she's just a very helpful person. That's just kind of what she was meant to do. And we just connected with them instantly. We ended up finding a a reproductive endocrinologist down there so that she didn't have to, I didn't want to really put her out 
too much. Um, I, she was already going to be going through stims and retrieval and everything else. I wanted to make it as easy as possible. So I found the doctor down there and we met with the doctor. And then in June, we began our cycle. So it, it moved pretty quickly. And, you know, just over time, we just got to get to know each other better and better. And now she's a great friend of mine. And I talk to her several times a week and we text a lot and we've stayed at their house a couple times. And so you never even had to go down the um, unknown donor process at all. Because I you had this just very briefly started looking at profiles. I had a couple people that I liked, but like I said, that was just in a, maybe a two week period while I was waiting between my transfer and my beta, just kind of preparing myself. I think ahead of time, I kind of knew, I think I kind of knew what the outcome was going to be. And then she just happened to appear in my life. So I didn't really need to pursue that um, anonymous route any further unless, you know, Joe didn't want to know the donor or something like that. But yeah, yeah, it it was very interesting how it all unfolded. It is. And then did you keep her updated during your pregnancy and, you know, delivery? Was she a friend to you as, as you were going through that? Definitely. So she ended up doing her retrieval in May. We transferred end of May. We transferred in June. Um, and then I found out I was pregnant, uh, very pregnant. And my beta was really, really high. Actually, they thought that the embryo might've split and I had twins, but we just had one little babe in there. And yeah, she, she kind of stuck by me the whole time and ended up actually getting pregnant just a couple of months after I did. Did she really? Wow. Um, with so- a daughter. So we yeah. both have now we have daughters that are about three months apart. So, oh, how special is that? It's that so fun. Really, yeah, it is. We text each other a lot with you know the good things and the bad things. Yeah, you know, we <laughs> yeah. touch base when we're having a bad day. Hey, I know you're struggling right now, but absolutely, I'm absolutely. having a mine's having a tantrum too or something. So we do we do have a lot in common, um, you know, as far as that goes, and it does make it fun. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then did you ever have any feelings of being, you know, worried about her, you know, being in your life or, you know, some parents say they they worry that the donor will take on some larger role in the child's life than they, that they really want. If, if it's a known donor, do you experience that at all? Or do you find that boundary is easy to keep? I think the boundary is easy and I, I think it works out well because we are a couple states apart. So it kind of puts a, a boundary there that, you know, whether we like it or not, it's there no matter what. But I think even if we lived, you know, in the same town or something, she would be respectful of whatever it is that we wanted. And if we, you know, wanted more of her, I think she would do whatever, you know, we wanted her to do. I think she would be, she's comfortable with kind of whatever approach we, we wanted to take. So she let go of that parenting. She doesn't tell you like, well, you shouldn't be disciplining your child that she doesn't get involved. Nope. She has been, you know, I've asked her for advice because she does have uh, an older daughter who's, I think she's 10 now. And then she has a son, Max. So she's done like the potty training and the sleeping and the passies and all that stuff. So there are definitely times where I'm like, what are you doing, you know, about potty training or what are you doing Mm -hmm. about these pacifiers or this or that? So yeah, that's so great that you're so confident and comfortable that you can just, you don't even mind asking her. And that's, that's such a great thing because you see that you don't have any issue with her being biologically related and you not because you know that you're the mother because you're right. The, you're there every day. You're her mom. I mean, it's, it's just like texting one of my best friends and asking her, you know, That's how so did cool. you get through this or that? You know, so her and I are very close. And I love that for Georgia because then she knows like, 
the, you know, she has a connection, a biological connection to her. Right. She knows that you like her and you're friends. And so that's like liking a part of her too. You know, like yep. it's just this, everyone gets along and likes each other. It's just seems very, you know, very fluid and easy. Yeah. It has been amazing. Um, we have some pictures in George's room of her and I, of Amy and I, and, um, I had a book made, um, kind of how I, we plan to kind of tell Georgia, um, from a young age, we had a book made, yeah, um, yeah. kind of a picture book that shows, you know, us getting married and then going through some IVF cycles and then meeting Amy and just my pregnancy and everything. And I just kind of hand wrote in it, um, in simple terms, uh, I gave it to her for her second birthday. So very simple terms. Um, yeah. and we read it a couple times a week and she knows who Amy is and who Stella is and, mm-hmm. um, which is Amy's older daughter. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we go through all the names and everything and, you know, we're just trying to make it a part of her just every day, you know, or a couple times a week right now, cause she's still pretty young, but you know, we're just trying to make it like her normal part of her story for her. Yeah, so, absolutely. And it's going well so far. Well, that's so, good. Yeah. And for other parents that are curious, what does, it sounds like you call her half-sister Stella. And as she gets older, it's kind of, you could just call her Stella for a while. Do you then ever refer to her as like a cousin or a special cousin or anything different? Or right now it's just her name? As of right now, we're just kind of working on names, yeah. Um, yeah. but eventually, you know, we'll explain to her that that's her, you know, half sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that, you know, I would love for them to be able to have somewhat of a relationship. I know that, you know, they live States away and it is hard. I don't expect them to be, you know, if they become close, that's wonderful. But I, you know, I just hope that they know that they have each other in their lives and that they do have siblings that they're genetically tied to. And we're just going to kind of keep trying to make it her, you know, second nature to her. And just, yeah. this is just part of how it goes for you, you know, and yeah. how things went and just, you know, kind of however it unfolds, but steering it obviously in the most positive direction that we can. So yeah, it's like a running dialogue and it comes up every now and then, you know, yep, exactly. Yeah, and right now thing. she's still very young, you know, she doesn't quite understand a lot of it. So we're still working on names and kind of you know, just things like that. But, you know, I just, I think it's very important to go over it as, as often as we can to just make it normal for her, part of her normal story. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I see that on your Instagram profile when I see you post and, and pictures, I see, I see that and it's such a great model. And I, I think if, if anyone's listening and wants to kind of take a look at what a family looks like that is open and talking about this and um, you do a great job of writing and explaining your posts and, you, you know, you write really well. And so I would say follow Elena at Lana Ridley. It's spelled L-E-N-A-R-I-D-L-E-Y. I just want to get that in there because it's such a great example. And you can see the book that she made for Georgia and, and things like that. So it's, uh, it helps when people see it. You know, I think really when young parents or any parent, you don't have to be young, when parents are going through donor conception, they are, there's so many unknowns and there's so many fears that it helps when they see someone who's on the other side and already has a child. Uh, 100% agree with yeah. you. I feel like that's yeah. even just for infertility in general. Um, you know, when I first was on this journey, um, before even donor conception and everything else, even considering that I wanted to follow accounts that were successful because I wanted that too, you know? So I wanted to see like people have, and although sometimes it was hard to see people have success before me, you know, I wanted to see accounts that had success or how they went about doing things or what their protocol was or, 
you know, or then, well, then once I considered egg donation, I reached out and I have a, a good close knit group of girls who have all used egg donation and like just touching base with them and relaying information back and forth to them and like what their experience was and everything. It's just, it's, I absolutely agree. Seeing it just makes it so much more real and easier to understand and everything too, you know, cause it is, it's kind of a scary thing. Um, a lot of people have to a lot of people struggle with giving up on their genetics. That's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of a hard, you know, it can be very hard to come to terms with. For me, it really wasn't because I was just so over doing (laughs) the same thing over and over and over nine embryos. By the time it was all said and done, never got pregnant once I was not doing another retrieval. You know, we couldn't find anything wrong with me. I was just so over trying to find out why it wasn't working and find another doctor, this, that, and the other. I was like, I just want to be a mom. I don't care how this kid comes into my life. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it be, I mean, we hadn't really gotten to the point of considering adoption. And I didn't think that surrogacy was really felt like I could carry a pregnancy. And I'm like, egg donation is just probably going to be what works. And I'm just, I was over it with my genetics. It just, it didn't take me a long time to really come to terms with that, but it can take people. I mean, it is a, it's a big thing that you're letting go of. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. it's, it's a big thing to consider, but. And you went through a long process too. And that it was a is a long time for you to go that many transfers is so long. How many years was that? Um, so we started trying in 2011 and we tried for two years naturally. So we just did like the basic testing over those two years, like your ovulation tests. And then my midwife suggested doing like Reiki and an HSG. And so she gave me some like natural remedies. And then we did some more invasive remedies, like with the, the HSG is where they put the dye through your tubes. And so we just did like the very basic stuff over those two years. Um, and then in 2013 was when we started to finally go into fertility treatment. We did two IUIs, um, had a, had a miscarriage or a, a chemical pregnancy miscarriage, went into IVF pretty quickly in 2013. And I did, uh, an IVF cycle in 20, two IVF cycles in 2014 and then one in 2015. So, um, it was about five years total of trying mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, it just, it, it felt like time went so slow and just mm-hmm. waiting and waiting and waiting and trying all these different things. And I mean, we switched mm-hmm. doctors three times, all three retrievals we did were at different clinics because I just, you know, I wanted different perspectives and all these mm-hmm. doctors do everything so differently. Yeah. And I was just, I was willing to try whatever I could. And I was very fortunate at the time I had fertility benefits through my work. I don't anymore, but I did at the time. So I was able to have all of those retrievals and transfers and all the meds and everything covered. So I was like, I'm going to try it all while I can, Mm -hmm. while it's covered by my benefits. So, and unfortunately it never worked. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what would you say to doctors that tell people um, when they go in to do and they want to do a known donation and the doctors say, oh no, we won't do a known donation. It's just too messy. It's too, it's too complicated. I would recommend getting a different doctor. Immediately. <laughs> um, I just, I don't think that that's, I think that's a, maybe an old school way of thinking. And I, I know from personal experience that there are a lot of reproductive endocrinologists that have been in the game for a very long time. My doctor in Georgia is probably in his early seventies. Um, luckily for us, he was very open to the whole process that they do a lot of egg donation at that clinic. But if, if I was told that by an RE and that was the route I wanted to go, I would say, this is what I want to do. And if you're not going to 
help me through this process and, and be willing to do it, then we're just going to have to switch clinics and find a doctor who will. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be your own advocate. And if that's something that Absolutely. you really want and your doctor doesn't, then it's time for you to get a different doctor. I don't care how far you have to drive. I flew on a plane. People have gone, you know, overseas. I mean, there are a lot of doctors out there. So keep looking. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Cause I think that's very, you know, I think that's very messy. I mean, ugh. if you know, that's just, yeah, the whole process is messy no matter what. Yeah. So, yeah. I think know. it's a lack of education. I think doctors don't understand how a known donation works. And so rather than it's too messy for them, maybe they just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, I agree. So. I also, what do you think about the clinics that when uh, a donor will uh, say that they're open to being known at some point and a clinic makes them sign the uh, agreement that they have to wait till the child turns 18. The parents have to wait till the child turns 18 to contact the donor, but they're also interested in contacting and wanting to get more information, but the clinic doesn't allow them access to each other. How do you feel? What do you, what are your thoughts on that? I think that I, I don't really agree with that either. You know, I, I get that some of that stuff is in place because, you know, clinics probably feel for liability purposes and stuff like that, that's the better route to go. But to me, if a donor wants to be open and a, a family wants to be open, I think that they should, you know, waive that and let yeah. th- that relationship happen. Give the donor the information or give the recipient the information and let them go about it. The clinic doesn't have to facilitate anything except nope. for here's the information of who That's it right. was. It's not like you know, they're asking them to be involved or anything like that. So they just um, have to get releases. If, the, if both parties yeah. release, I think that, that's, that's all they have to do. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about, I'm, I'm asking you all these kind of ethical questions. I hope you don't mind. No problem. No. Nope. <laughs> okay. I got because, a lot of opinions on them. So. I know, and because there's so many different situations that I hear out there from clinics and I'm, I never cease to be surprised, to be honest with you. I don't know if you heard the story lately on my podcast of Liz, who got pregnant with a donor and ended up losing the baby at 21 weeks from a heart defect that could have been genetically caused. Yes. And the clinic told her they were not going to let the donor know about that. I also believe that the medical information, serious medical information, such as something like that, you know, um, a history of family cancers, anything like that, I feel like is definitely the recipient's right to know. I mean, this would be the other end. This was the donor's baby. It was the donor's genetics and the Liz's baby, but with her genetics had a heart defect and Liz wanted to reach out and let her donor know. Oh, okay. I got you. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. And they would not tell her because Liz thought that they were afraid it would spook her from donating again. And so now they're using a donor that potentially is passing on a heart defect. Yeah, I think that they should be giving the donor that information for sure. Yeah, and I don't know about HIPAA there and how that works and how you share information like that, but there's got to be a way that a donor can be informed. I mean, donors have rights too, that they can be informed about a potential you know, chromosomal abnormality that they might carry. And, and then to use an, that donor again without without disclosing to another recipient parent that there might be. It is scary. And so I don't know how to prevent stuff like that. Because like you said, there's so many different offices doing so many different things. You you really have to rely on their own ethical 
you know, internal compass. Right. And I do think that donors should, and I think that most do, but I don't know that this is always the case because every clinic is different, but, and every donor program is different. And I don't know that there's necessarily any laws around this, but I do think that, you know, if you're doing like a donation anonymously, or you want to do, you know, if you're just like, I'm going to do the six donations right in a row, you know, how, how they allow them to do, I do feel like they should go through all the screening that they can possibly go through you know, genetic carrier counseling, because like, I'm a carrier of cystic fibrosis. I had no idea until I went through IVF that I was a carrier of that. Mm-hmm. And fortunately my husband isn't, but if he was, or, um, if he would have been, and then our donor would have been for some reason, you know, we could have had a potentially the 50% chance of our child being diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. So mm-hmm. I think that it's really important that those screenings happen, no matter if it's anonymous or known or however their program works, or if they're donating to like an egg bank. I don't know that there's a process in place that they all necessarily follow, but I think that there should be because even that donor, if she has her own kids one day that could potentially have yeah, that. That puts people through so much heartache. They try so yes. hard to get pregnant and then to have that. It's just, there's so many ethical questions. Now you've been open about your process of wanting to have another baby. And I know that you've been through a transfer once that didn't work. Remind me, did you use the same donor, Amy? We did, yep. So Amy gave us um, Amy gave us 10 eggs on her retrieval, eight fertilized and six ended up. One we transferred and then we froze five. So we had a six uh, embryos total. We transferred the first one and that became our Georgia. And then last summer, we went down in July of 2018 and then September of 2018, and we transferred one embryo each time. And my first one uh, ended up being a chemical pregnancy. Um, my beta was relatively low. Um, it was positive, but it was on the lower side. And for um, those listening, beta is a, it's a hormone, a measurement of a hormone that indicates if you're pregnant or not. And the higher the numbers, the more likely it's a viable pregnancy. Correct. And my numbers were not um, rising as they should. They want that number to, typically they want it to double about every 48 hours. So they have you go every other day for a blood test. They want to see the number rising. They want to see it at a certain level. That first transfer we did in July, the number just wasn't increasing as it should be. And they termed it a chemical pregnancy. It was just basically a term for an early miscarriage. Yeah. You know, we never went in for an ultrasound or anything like that. We just knew based off my levels that it wasn't progressing as it should. So they had me stop on my meds. And then we did another transfer last September, September of 2018. We transferred one embryo and my levels were actually very good. They were very close to what uh, they were with Georgia and things were progressing well as far as my blood work. And then when we went in for our first ultrasound at seven weeks, they found the embryo had actually split, which is a very rare thing to happen. One of them was what's called a blighted ovum, which basically means it's a sac, but it has nothing in it. So it's just an empty sac. It has no baby in it. It has no fetal pole, none of that. And then the other one, the baby had stopped growing about six weeks. There was no heartbeat. So I had to have a DNC for that one. Mm, I'm um, so sorry. Thank you. Um, It was super hard and it has taken me a very long time to move forward from that. Um, I switched clinics again. again. Um, I just moved my embryos from, I moved my embryos from Georgia up here to Chicago because it's just, it's very hard 
to logistically plan out, you know, going down to Georgia and having a transfer. And now we have a kid to take with us and um, it's just a lot to plan. So um, we switched clinics and we are actually going to Vios Fertility. Um, You may see my doctor on Instagram. She's very popular on Instagram, uh, Dr. Ruhi Jelani. Um, She posts tons of educational information to the infertility community every day. And I went to her and we've been trying to do, um, we did some other biopsies and some other testing this past fall. And then um, we decided to just kind of postpone until the first of the year where we will do hopefully another transfer. We have three embryos left and we would like to give them a chance um, being that they are, uh, you know, it was a huge gift given to us. So, um, so if they're boys or girls, we don't, we did not, we did not do PGS testing with our donor because at the time she was 26, she was very healthy and no, if she went through the screenings and she, we had no reason to screen her for any genetic issues and she had two healthy pregnancies at the time. So we didn't feel it was necessary to PGS test. So we just, we didn't proceed with that. So we don't know if they're, you know, we don't know if they're viable or what their genders are, but you know, fingers crossed that they are. So yeah, fingers crossed. And then I know this is getting way ahead, but if you, if for some reason those three don't work, would you continue to go on to try to get, find a different donor? I feel like every day, the longer and longer, the more time that passes and the longer that we wait for a transfer, I feel more and more comfortable just with one child. I would be, you know, more than happy to have more, but I just, I'm 33 and I'm going to be 34 next year. And I feel like I would be maybe willing to give this another year or two. And then after that, I I would like to just be done with infertility and all that it has given me over the last Mm -hmm. several years. Um, I don't think I'll ever stop like advocating for, you know, the awareness and I'll always share our story and everything, but I just, you know, I want to see an end to the treatment someday. I don't want to be doing this forever. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think when I need to come to terms with that, I think it'll be relatively easy for me, but, um, I don't think we would seek out another donor and I don't think that we would ask our donor to donate again. I think we would just kind of be content with what we've got. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, is there anything that you would say to somebody who's on the fence and they're deciding whether they should use known or, or let's call it anonymous, even though we know it's not anonymous, doesn't truly exist anymore. Sure. And they're just not sure they they have some, some questions or maybe just some fears about known donation. Is there anything that, that you would just share from your perspective? What I usually tell people when I get that question, and I mean, that's a very, very personal decision and it just depends on what you're comfortable with. But for me, you know, and I can only tell people what my experience has been is that my experience has been really awesome. I have nothing negative to say about it. There hasn't been one thing except for the the losses that we've experienced last year, which are totally out of anyone's control. Um, the entire donor process for us was amazing. You know, it was a lot of logistical planning and stuff like that, but the known aspect of it has been awesome. We've gained, you know, another family of friends and, 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 you know, an extended family in a way um, that will always be part of our lives, no matter what, you know, it will always be George's biological family. And for me, I like the, the option to be able to, you know, have her know who her genetic family is. I see a lot of comments and, and conversation around the mother term of, 
donors. And, and I know that my donor is not my kid's mother. She's not, um, I'm her mother, but Mm -hmm. Amy is a mother in Georgia's life that has, you know, a very good influence and inspiration on Georgia. I hope to God one day that Georgia can see what her donor did for us. And maybe that will entice her to do something, you know, for a family one day herself, not that she has to donate her eggs to somebody, but I just hope that she can see what kind of positive influence her donor, you know, has on her life. And, you know, maybe Georgia will want to become a nurse one day because of Amy or something, you know, something like that. I just, that's all I can hope for. And just knowing Amy as a person and having the chance to know her and her kids and how wonderful her whole family, her mom is awesome. Like, you know, we've met her family, we've went to birthday parties and stuff with them and, and everything like that. And it's just, it's been really, really awesome to, you know, and a lot of people in her family don't really know that, that they did that. So we just kind of hop, hop on as friends and nobody knows the difference, but um, it's just, it's really awesome to be able to spend time with them. And to me, like having more amazing people to be family with is, I don't think there's anything bad you can say about it, you know? So for yeah. me, uh, the experience the more the awesome. Yeah, <laughs> but it is, it is a personal decision. You know, some sure. people, I was originally told by my second doctor um, that I had my second retrieval with that I needed to consider egg donation based on the appearance of my eggs. And I was like, oh no, 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 we are not <laughs> doing that. I will never have an egg donor. Yeah. I will never know her. I don't want anything to do with who she is, this, that. Like I would be so resentful towards her. Mm. And then now look at me. <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's the progression. It's so good yeah. to know that. I'm so glad you shared that because um, it's amazing how people change their minds. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I tell my clients that a lot. It's like whatever you think today, just know that it could change tomorrow, and just be open to that. I mean, I yeah. was so mad at that doctor for telling me that. I just could not believe that he even had the nerve to tell me that I needed <laughs> an egg donor when he told me that to my face at my follow-up appointment um, after that transfer had failed. And I remember I called my sister-in-law, who has been my best friend since we were in kindergarten. Um, oh, her and I married brothers, and she offered her eggs to me. But her kids are my nieces and nephews. So, you know, for me, I was like, you know, that, that was a line that I drew for myself that I, I wasn't ever going to be comfortable with. Um, I appreciated that she offered right off the bat, but I was like, I don't want that close of a tie to my donor, especially at that time. But, you know, as, as time went on and I started to realize that things just weren't going to happen for me and I probably wasn't going to ever have an IVF cycle work if I was going to keep using my own eggs, I just came more and more to terms with you know, maybe I do want to know this person at least a little bit. And then when Amy made her offer and I got to know her, I just, I couldn't have asked for like a more awesome, like sweet person to, you know, have be our donor. What a great story. That's just, I, I just love your story. It's a great story. It's a great Thank example. You. And we're very, really, very lucky. Yeah. And I really hope that it's an inspiration for a lot of people out there too, that, that are leaning in the direction towards known or open because it's so great for the child. Yeah. So follow Elena on Instagram at Lena Ridley and you will get lots of good information. And you know what? Have you ever thought about writing a book? I have. I would love to. I would oh, I think love you to. Should. It's definitely one of my goals. Um, I do have a blog, um, which is linked on my Instagram. It's called Baby Ridley Bump. And I started it in 2012. I've been a blogger for a long time and I have a hard time keeping up with it now because I just don't have sure. the time like I used to. But yeah, I love writing. I have a degree. I have a bachelor's in English and I've just always, I've always loved writing. Like even mm -hmm. as a kid, 
Um, I can tell. So I do write yeah. a lot. I like all my captions on Instagram are like super long and well thought out. And yeah, just, I mean, kind I of, kind of, I'm thinking about that today. I'm like, gosh, I really into these captions, but um, so I <laughs> that's do, what I'm I, saying. You could write a book cause you're just so good at it. Yeah. I really do enjoy writing and I would love to one day, maybe in a few years when um, we're done having kids and I have a few more minutes on my hands. Yeah. Um, I would love to, to do that for sure. So maybe even write about the known donation experience. Cause that's, there's no book out there like that. That would be kind of what I would, you know, yeah. probably gear it towards as known donations. So That'd be great. That'd be great. Well, I'll help you. I mean, I will help you. I will spread the word about it is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, well, it was great talking with you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.